So during this summer, a lot of our time in the New Testament has been focused on Ephesians, and it is just a priceless contribution to our understanding of God and, and his love for the church. You know, we've, we've looked at how he has made, taken people, regardless of their background, wherever you're from, whatever your origin, whatever your race, your ethnicity, and if you're in Christ, he's made us one body, one group, one nation. We looked at that about a month ago. That's Ephesians 2. And then on, that, uh, on the basis of what Jesus did, we looked at how we live together in that calling. Each person who, by virtue of their experience, by virtue of uh, the giftings that God has given, each of us contributes that in this group. And out of that comes a collective understanding more and more of the fullness of God. And through that, we grow in maturity. It's a process it's, it takes time, it requires patience, it requires kind of smoothing rough edges, that's all part of the joy of being in a fellowship. Um, but Paul is giving us a vision for what the heavenly community will look like, and the calling on the church is to act more and more in that new identity, in that new way that, that Jesus shows us. And we have the Lord's power to help us at every step along that way. So that's a little bit on the background. But being the great pastor that Paul is, now he gives essentially a warning. Now he says, lest you think it's all going to be up and to the right, I, I want to let you know that spiritual warfare is real, that we have an enemy of our souls, of, our, of us as individuals and, as, and as, of us as a church, who doesn't rest, who remains quite active. And I want you, church in Ephesus, to know what, how to deal with that, how to stand in spite of all that afflicts you, about all that comes at you. I want you to still be standing when all this is over. And so I, I think that that's a, I, I pray that that's a timely word. I mean, I think it is. I think how often do we know that it takes so long to build something of quality? whether that's a company, whether that's the love in a family, whether that's a precious relationship with a friend, whether that's, you know, a, a business, whether that's a church. It's bit by bit. It's a patient ferment. It is la allowing the Spirit of God to speak to each of us, to, to follow Him faithfully in the next step along the way. It takes time to build something that reflects the increasing glory uh, and grace of the Lord. But it can be ruined in an instant. It can be brought to destruction so quickly, so more than we even kind of thought or imagined. I didn't know destruction could happen like that. I think of, uh, you know, if you've ever been to the beach and seen kids make sandcastles, or maybe you went to the beach as a kid and made sandcastles. You know, it's a great gig for the parents. They get the kids to work on sandcastles for two hours. You know, you got the bucket, the spade, the pail, the water. Uh, little sculpting tools if you're really thinking about it. And the kids are fully occupied. And then when it's time to go home, they look at their creation and then it's just like, we're just starting to kick it down because we, it was, that's all part of the fun too. Or maybe they have a sibling that kicks it down. Uh, maybe you were that sibling that kicked it down. But destruction is so much quicker, so much 
easier in a sense. This is what the enemy of our souls, the enemy of our church uh, wants to bring towards us. And this is why Paul in the letter that was read in Ephesians 6 is, is exhorting the church. Finally, brothers, or finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, it's, it's easy to kind of try to diminish this in terms of what Paul was talking about. But he gives essentially a plural view into what is arrayed against the saints, what is arrayed against people, God's very good creation. It's not only the devil and his schemes, but it's rulers and authorities and the powers of the dark world, spiritual forces of evil. We can treat it lightly. Sometimes there's been attempts by theologians to look at that and say, well, you know what he's really talking about? He's talking about oppressive structures in society that come because of the sinfulness of man and as a result of people's greed or their tribalism or the will to power, you know, injustice happens. And some, some people are on top and some people are on the bottom. And that's just the way it is. But that's, that's not doing justice to the text or to the, to the evil that has its origin in, in people that, in heavenly beings that are of the devil, that have a personification, that have an intent, that have a will, that have an organization. And so we don't want to treat that rightly. We don't, uh, we don't want to treat that lightly. We don't want to say that such things are old-fashioned or don't exist. And on the other hand, we don't want to go to extremes. Uh, there are some theologians that want to say, hey, there's, they spent a lot of time in the apocalyptic literature of Daniel and Revelation trying to map out just the whole spiritual landscape. Well, what is this demon doing over here? And, and they have control over that particular region. You know what? Paul doesn't go to either place in this text. He's very focused on the practical nature of what lies in front of us, on the real warfare that each of us experiences. But I just want to call out before we proceed that, that that idea of warfare, if you will, or spiritual struggle is real, that we have a real enemy, that the enemy is organized and they're focused really on a single goal, and that is to separate us from the life that is in Christ. I don't just mean from an eternal perspective, but to know Jesus is to know life. To know Jesus is to feel his and experience his love, to experience his provision, to see his healing where we need it, to have him work in relationships that we desire to be uh, more befitting of his grace and his love. And so that is the life that is on offer to us. That is the promise in many ways that is given to us. But the enemies of our souls, the enemies of our church, want to take that away, want to interrupt that, want to stand in the way of that. And they use all kinds of strategies. How does it work? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. You will encounter from some time someone or perhaps some media outlet who says things to you or about you or about something you love or someone you love that you find utterly hurtful, harmful, dangerous, or threatening. The examples are endless. In our country currently, there's, I think, a couple more prominent ones around politics and around vaccinations. 
It's like, it's, at some level, you wonder, why can't we have a rational conversation about either of these topics? And yet such is proven to be far more of a challenge than you would expect. I, I regularly talk to pastor friends of mine who are finding people in their congregations really upset with the, whatever the church's stance is on that, their local church, their pastor. It's, it's becoming far more fraught than you would imagine. It's important to see that whatever the issue is, that Paul wants us to focus not on, the, on this fact, that our war, our, what we're battling against is not the person who is opposed to us or the viewpoint that is counter to ours. But what we're battling is, so he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but with these principalities, there's something, there's an energy, there is a, 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 a force, there is an active effort that is counter to the goodness that God requires. It's just this whole aspect of spiritual warfare. And so we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the unseen but powerful enemy. Uh, Peter O'Brien, who wrote one of the commentaries that I looked at, says, Paul's point here is that the Christian life as a whole is a profound spiritual warfare of cosmic proportions in which the ultimate opposition to the advance of the gospel and moral integrity in our lives springs from evil supernatural powers under the control of the God of this world. And that actually should help us go easier on the people that we find in opposition to our points of view. It's sort of not them, it's something behind them. I think it's really important to, to grab onto that fact because it's what enabled Jesus when he's on the cross in the midst of his agony and actually at the end of that, when he's actually suffocating, he can say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. If you would ask the Roman centurions or the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, what are you doing? They would tell you what they are doing. We're getting rid of a blasphemer. We are saving our nation from the Romans who are just going to get a lot more angry. The centurion saying, I'm just doing my job. This guy has caused more trouble than he's worth. They would have an answer for what they're doing. And yet Jesus sees behind that and sees what's really going on, sees that this is a battle between the devil and his forces and the, just the enemy of our souls. And when you read and think about the, the language that's so often used about the crucifixion and the victory that's won, it's battle language. It, it's, it's, you know, he'll strike the heel, but his, the serpent's head will be crushed. It's like Jesus has the victory. And so when we're exhorted to stand, and in the passage, you may have noticed that that word stand is used multiple times. If you're counting, it's used four times. Paul's on to something. Like, I want you Christians, brothers and sisters, to be able to stand no matter what comes against us. In the day of evil, what is the day of evil? It's not only just kind of the world and its challenges and its issues and just sort of the world system, if you will. But you know, just kind of being in a place that doesn't know God and so all the things that, that come from that. Cindy's gospel reading where Jesus says out of the heart comes all kinds of evils. That is what characterizes so much of the world. So it's not only that, but the day of evil also means, F.F. Bruce is focused on this particular point. He says it also means the particular outpouring that each of us can experience when something just gets really intense or something comes out of left field, or something that you thought was in the bag and was going to be okay, suddenly isn't. Anybody not experienced something like that? I mean, I think we all have. 
It happens to us as individuals. It happens to us in families. happens to us in churches. And so none of this surprises Paul. It shouldn't surprise the saints. And it shouldn't surprise us. And when those things happen, how do we deal with it? And this is where Paul gets to his full armor of God. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, with the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up your shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Put on the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We can stand because we have the full armor of God. We can stand because each of these things, and I'm not going to go into huge detail of each of the components of the armor, other than they represent the aspect of who Christ is and the power that he gives us. You know, Paul is using an imagery of a Roman centurion who has all this defensive armament on because he doesn't know where the attack's coming from. If it's a blow to a head, he's got a helmet to deflect him. If it's a thrust to his torso, he's got a shield. Excuse me, he's got a breastplate. If it's uh, something, uh, you know, down here, he's got his his um, skirt of leather, which is called the belt of truth. He's got shoes that are made for combat. He has a shield. The only thing that he has that's a weapon is actually the sword. Most of it is defensive. So we don't know how we get attacked. We don't know when we get attacked. But we do know that each of these things God has given us. Remember, whose armor is this? It's the armor of God. It's what he's given us. And just so we're sure that this isn't Paul just pulling an image out of kind of contemporary culture of his day, he's actually echoing what's in Isaiah. Isaiah presents Jesus, the Lord of, he presents the Messiah as the Lord of hosts and says in numerous places what, what we count as the armor. He says in Isaiah 11, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. Righteousness will be his belt. Faithfulness, the sash around his waist. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace. Later on in Isaiah, he, he the Messiah, put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. These echoes of Isaiah are meant to show that the armor of God is from God. It is something that, that he gives each one of us. O'Brien calls it, he says, Paul paraphrases it in other places as putting on Christ. So when we are under assault, when we are under attack, when we don't think that we can actually, we, we don't know what to do, or we don't think we can persevere in what we think, what we know we ought to do, we just say, Lord, this is... This, the person in front of me is not the real issue. It's a, it, well, it's not the whole issue. Lord, I, I need you to intervene in a way that, that I don't even know what that looks like. But I'm going to claim by faith, use that shield, that you will, you will protect me. I, the, you've made me righteous. So if the enemy wants to say you're not righteous or condemn us for something, often dragging up past sins, for example, Lord, I don't know what to do in this temptation. I'm in this company and now I'm faced with an ethical challenge. I've got a work colleague that I'm thinking more about than my spouse. I've got uh, just a sense of oppression and heaviness that, that I don't know what to do with. I've got concerns about illness that friends that I care about or people in my family are facing. All these are the myriad ways that, that we can be assaulted. But in each and every assault, we have 
Christ that we have put on through this armor. And the armor imagery is to show us that we can prevail if we would use it. Imagine a Roman centurion who keeps his sword sheathed, doesn't use it, doesn't take it out, doesn't use his, his shield. As they say, how crazy is that? But if we do that, we will prevail. And just a word on the, the sword of the Spirit. Um, you know, the Word of God, we take every thought captive to God's Word is probably the uh, phrase I often, or part of Scripture that often helps me in decisions, in understanding things, in trying to understand what's going on in this world. Not to be, that doesn't mean that you don't investigate. That doesn't mean that you don't think. That doesn't mean that you don't consult with people. This is not going to a mountain some way, someplace just to get your own special word of the Holy Spirit. We do, we interpret in community. We are in community for that reason. We rely on people who are gifted in, in wisdom and in exegesis. But in that group, as we have the word of God, we embrace it and we say, Lord, what is your word for me? I, I want to commend just the practice, if you don't do it, to just say, Lord, help me to understand, bring whatever situation, whatever challenge, whatever assault, whatever warfare you're in, and just say, Lord, help me, give me a word from your word to understand how to just go through that one more step, one more step forward. If we do that, I think we will see him faithful more and more. We will experience his faithfulness more and more. The final piece of Paul's exhortation is to move from the armor imagery to the one of praying in the spirit on all occasions. Verses 18 through 20 that were read. Pray in in the spirit on all occasions uh, with all kinds of prayers and requests. And then he says, pray also for me that whatever words I speak, uh, words may, whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Paul's in prison. Paul sees his ministry potentially interrupted or coming to an end. He's This idea of praying fearlessly mentioned twice, there's sort of this hint of like, I'm not sure I can do this. You're like, you're Paul, you can do it. No, he, he does it because people are praying for him. And so again, one of the huge reasons why we are a church, one of the many blessings of being in a fellowship is to be able to come alongside one another or to go to somebody and say, would you pray for me? Would you lift up my arms like, you know, Moses were lifted up? Just help me in the midst of this thing. Um, you will find great power, God's power. You'll find the power to stand as we do that. Even if we feel at times we don't stand well, if we've kept our sword in its sheath, if we failed to use the shield, you know what? The Lord who gives us his armor is also the Lord who binds up our wounds. The one who kind of cleans us up. If you're here today, you've, I mean, everybody here has wounds. God will pick us up, brush us off, allow us to reconnect with the power that he brings, reconnect with the use of the armor so that we can withstand the schemes of the enemy and still after all that, find ourselves standing at the end of life. Warfare is real, but the armor of God is more powerful than anything that comes against us. No weapon formed against us will prosper as we use his armor. May the Lord just bring that into every area of our life that requires that application in the days ahead. Amen. So let's just think about that. I would just, as we're um, 
Kate's going to lead us in a song, but just in, as a prelude to that, just bring an a aspect of something that you're wrestling with, something that you're struggling with. Could be new, could be prolonged, could be chronic. Just ask the Lord to refresh you and enable you to stand. Thanks for being with us online in the Sermon Podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.